This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Discussion continuing today around the failure of Silicon Valley Bank, as well as the issues with Signature Bank and others, with more on what has happened and what we learned from this. Pleasure to be joined once again by Itamar Dressler, who is finance professor here at the Wharton School. Itamar, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for your time today. Thank you for having me. All right, let's start out larger uh, scope here and, and get your thoughts on what occurred with these institutions, specifically SVB, uh, and the potential impact that we, we might see longer term? So uh, as the details come out, it, it, it looks um, like uh, what happened with SVB is they, they had a very big run-up in the amount of uh, deposits that they had in the previous two years. But these are not mostly retail people. Like they, don't, they have almost no branches. I think they have 17 branches. Mostly uh, business deposits, corporate like uh, like checking accounts and stuff like that from uh, you know tech startups, VCs, SPACs, and as many people know, that sector has shrank a lot recently as interest rates have gone up, and so they were kind of essentially losing their customers. Uh, they were paying their deposits very very little, the way you do on checking, and if they wanted to replace them, they'd have to pay a lot more, like like much more competitive rate. Um, and so they weren't able to finance the long-term assets that they had bought with those things. Uh, and those assets, since they were bought before interest rates went up, had gone down in value. So the, as a result, they've, they've just created a hole in their balance sheet. Uh, and when their earnings came out and were very bad, then uh, people thought, you know, these, these deposits aren't insured. They're all large deposits. They're beyond the FDIC limit. And so they ran on this bank. And I think that created uh, a fear of run on uninsured deposits at, at many other banks. How much did the the rise in interest rates over the last year by the Federal Reserve potentially factor into this as well? I think it factors in in two ways. So I think um, what I what I want to be clear is that it is not the case that because banks in general uh, borrow short, lend long, then when interest rates go up, they they necessarily blow up. It, it, you know, we've gone through cycles like this many times, and with some exceptions in general, it does not cause them to blow up because they know this is coming. And even though they own long-term assets whose value goes down and interest rates go up, on the other side, their deposit franchise becomes more valuable because they're able to charge people a big spread on the deposits because they don't pay that much interest. While interest rates go up, they make money off of that, and that offsets the the loss on the long-term assets. And they know this. This is why they set it up that way. Uh, however, this bank did way too much of this. Like, they bought very long-term stuff. And on the other hand, they did not expect their VC clients to take out their checking accounts at the rate that they were. I think it was in the case of going up fast and going down fast. And it, both sides have to do with the interest rate because I think the reason VC has shrank probably at least in some respect is because interest rates have gone up. So it's both on both sides of their balance sheet that they got hit by, by interest rates. But that's not to say that every bank is in trouble. They, this is what they do. They borrow short, uh, lend long. What about the, the San Francisco Fed specifically uh, around SVB and in its oversight of the bank? That's a very good question. And I, I, I have to say the caveat, I don't know. I, I think now it is coming out. 
you, you can see this in their public uh, filings that the mortgages they bought, their overall portfolio is very long term, even compared to a normal bank. If, if your normal bank holds securities, mortgages that are about seven years on average in, in duration and maturity, these guys had um, uh, something that was closer to, to 15 years uh, or 14 years. It's, it's much longer. And, on the, so, so, and they knew that. And, and on the flip side, their accounts were not insured. And generally, regulators, FDIC, and so forth do give place a premium on having retail insured deposits that are not going to leave in a hurry. So I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on what exactly they were doing there, but I, 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 am a, I am a little surprised. It's not like you couldn't see this at all if you're looking for it. And, and I guess the question becomes, and even you, though you said, you know, this – shouldn't be a concern. Obviously, a lot of other regional banks are, are obviously being very watchful right now for potential uh, movement uh, of funds by their uh, depositors. Uh, and and yeah. I think they also have to do a deeper dive into their, uh, into their operations and what their potential concerns could be. I think I think, the, I think they, know, they know what kind of, you know, borrowing short lending along they did. That, that, it's not complicated at all. You could see this. The part that, just to qualify what I said before, if your depositors run, then it's like you lost your business franchise. Like the, the technology of the bank, the whole thing that makes the business go is that you attract depositors, they don't really leave, you provide them services, and in return they accept below competitive rate deposits. And that's been the business of banking forever. Now, if they leave, it's like you really lost the base of your business. And so... You know, all bets are off in that in that case. And, and I think maybe the surprising thing is that as deposits have grown a tremendous amount in the last 10 years, um, there are a lot of people apparently with large deposit accounts that are part of which are not insured. Uh, they're not breaking them up across banks. Some of them may be corporate deposits, which are also not being broken up across banks. And so when you get a fear of a run and they're not insured, that that's a problem. So. I don't think it's so much that things are complicated as that when you get a run, you know, it's in everybody's interest to just go for, you know, to, 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 to go for the hills. And, and at that yep. point, it just destroys the business of the bank. What's your expectation as to how, the, how this experience plays out into a better understanding and, and things that the banking sector need to think about a longer term right now? Uh, First, these these accounts that are over the insurance limit, I don't 100 percent. It, it, it There were products before, like, a, for example, brokerages that automatically break up your deposits and deposit it across banks so that they're under the insurance limit. We are going to see some of this was prevented uh, up to now for other accounts. But we're going to I think we're going to see more of that. Basically, um, I, I think we're going to move again more towards the direction of more insurance. And at the same time, then if you do that more regulation of what you can do with those insured deposits. It's, it's just the case that, that, I don't know if it has to do with technology, like social media, that, that, that when people see a danger, we're very coordinated. You know, stuff yeah. happens immediately. And so we end up needing, you know, more insurance and kind of to put more, you know, more care or regulation on things. There, there's, there's, there's also the question being asked about whether or not uh, because of what happened, there should have been some sort of bailout activity uh, by the uh, by the Treasury, uh, by the government. 
Uh, is that something that could have even come into the possibility of play here, with especially with SVB and, and maybe even Signature as well? The, the, the sense in which they did and didn't have a bailout. The sense in which they definitely had a bailout is that because 95% of their deposits were over the insurance limit, then when these were made whole, that is not something that the FDIC was obligated to do. The fact that they chose to do that because they got scared that it's going to cause runs at other banks is a bailout to those depositors. The bondholders and equity holders got wiped out, so it's not a bailout uh, to them. It is, a, it is kind of an existential question at some level. Like, do we have ins- uninsured deposits? Is that a thing? Or are all deposits in the end, you know, going to be insured because when the time comes, we just nobody has the, the, the stomach to like to like say you know what we're not doing it let's have a banking crisis and teach everybody a lesson and, <laughs> and i admit it's a very difficult thing so i would i'm sort of glad not to be in their shoes you can see the arguments both ways well and and that you bring up something that you know has obviously been talked about a lot uh, in in various parlance over the last couple of days is that by this move by uh the federal government and the fdic uh have they basically kind of opened the door for banks to do a lot more uh, because of the fact that, you know, the, 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 this backstop has kind of been put in place. I think at the moment they, they basically have opened the door to saying we are going to insure some of these uninsured deposits, at least if not all of them, there was a law up to 2012 from 2008 uh, insuring all corporate checking accounts that were not being paid interest just to make the account not very attractive, but at least you're insuring it. Suppose they'll go back to that. Whether banks can sort of do anything, I don't think it makes them able to do anything. But yeah, when you add insurance, you're also going to say, "All right, now we're going to put more constraints on you because we're providing you with insurance." And I mean, that should be the case. But it's it's not. Yeah, it isn't pleasant. We really don't want to be in the business of insuring everything. But but maybe for for this kind of thing, you can see what happens. That that when the panic sets in. Um, it's just rational to panic and run. Like, like I don't want to be the guy left with the uninsured deposit when everybody else is running. I don't want to be that guy either, and I don't blame anybody else. They shouldn't be. Does this, does this change the regulatory landscape or at least kind of awaken regulators to, you know, the fact that this has occurred? And obviously with, uh, you know, going back to the banking crisis in 2008, we obviously had Dodd-Frank off, off of that. Does this kind of uh, bring back some some unpleasant memories of, of more than a decade ago and maybe, you know, think about a, a, a rethink on, uh, on some of the policies that have been put in place? I think it adds to them. To the people who didn't like Dodd-Frank and these things, I think that along the, those dimensions, things held up well during COVID. And now along this dimension of uninsured deposits, I think we're going to get yeah, more, more regulation on that. That's the direction it's going to go. Um, definitely. Do you think that regulation worked then in in, in this instance uh, to really kind of prevent you know the the possibility of further contagion? How about regulation? That that right now it looks like this kind of uh, blanket you know uninsured deposit bailout for these two banks. By the way, it's not been it's not been said formally for other banks, but. You could kind of like read between the lines, probably not 100 percent. Today, it looks like people are kind of gaining confidence again. But it's not the regulation. You know, this is just the ex post like like patch up job. Uh, I do think for uninsured deposits, this is something that's going to have to be reckoned with now. 
I, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but yes, this is not a resolved problem. That, that's does this does the, does this also impact the FDIC in terms of how it operates and, and and how it looks at at these potential issues moving forward? Yes, um, I think they they have had uh, international banking regulations and the FDIC's own regulations gave a premium for retail deposits. You know, not the kind that are going to run away real fast, but apparently not enough. And either we're going to insure the rest of them and make them like that, or we're going to penalize them more and either drive them into insured accounts or out completely. Yep. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely going to affect them. I have no doubt in my mind. The the other side to this story, which kind of was, was the starting kind of component that was reported, was the tie back into the crypto sector. Uh and I guess you also have to throw uh, uh, the tech sector in there as well mm-hmm. uh, of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of what this collapse kind of means for, for those elements going forward. I don't really understand crypto very well because, I, yeah, I, so I'm, I shouldn't not speculate with people who think differently about that than I do. But, right. but it's, yeah, the, the, the issue with like the crypto banks is that they, the crypto stuff had a lot of cash. They put it in those banks. A lot of banks don't want to work with them. But then the crypto goes up and down. The cash comes in and out. If you're a bank that does a lot of crypto business, one day you have a lot of cash, and the next day you don't have a lot of cash. Um, and that, that makes it so that your deposit base is pretty fragile. Uh, the tech stuff, it is surprising that so much of tech was in, in one bank, and, and tech sector is also very cyclical. I mean, that, that's happened for years. They go up and down and up and down. And, yeah. um, I, you know, that's that's the the source of this but i think those are a little bit different the tech sector is really like the crypto is just a different investment and i and i don't understand that well let me let you put a bow tie on this and and kind of give your overall thoughts on on what we've seen play out and and how you think this is going to kind of impact banking and finance moving forward i think the real the the, the deeper question the harder question is do we have uninsured deposits or don't we? The argument was we always insure retail people because they're not have the time or energy or sophistication to pay attention to how healthy their bank is. And, you know, 100 years ago when they set up the, the Fed, they, they we created deposit insurance and that stopped the constant, you know, bank runs and depressions that were followed from that. For whatever reason, you know, now there's a lot of uninsured deposits because deposits have grown so much. Uh, either those move into smaller accounts and become insured or we have to somehow reckon with them because um, are those people sophisticated enough? They're supposed to be. They're supposed to be corporations and money managers, but it appears that when people have deposits, they also aren't, don't want to pay attention or anything. So we either say, listen, you're you're not going to be protected, but that doesn't seem to work exposed. Or we protect them, but then we limit a lot what you can do with the money you get from them. I, I don't know what the answer is going to be going forward, but that's just definitely unresolved, like you said. It's going to have to yeah. be dealt with. Edemar, great to talk to you again. Thanks very much for your insight. All the best. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Edemar Dreschler, who is a finance professor here at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.